All right. Um, welcome back to the Wanted Review Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about World War II and its relation to segregated divisions. I'm Juan. I'm Radu. So in World War II, the United States Army established a lot of segregated units and maintained a lot of historic segregated units. Uh, When the U.S. entered World War II, the Jim Crow segregation had affected every single aspect of American society. So when black men volunteered for the duty, or if they were drafted, they were actually assigned to segregated divisions, and oftentimes, given these combat support roles such as cook, or quartermaster, or grave digging duty, a lot of these um, less desirable jobs in the army. Um, well, Juan, um, are those jobs really less desirable than, say, being a soldier and going out on the field and potentially dying? I think a lot of the incentive to being a soldier, especially if you're volunteering, is having the sort of honorable role of being on the front lines. Right, but there was a draft in World War Two. Right, there was a draft, but I think um, it would be, I guess, more desirable to be able to come back to your country and saying, I was in the front lines defending my people instead of I was in the kitchen or I was digging graves or I was making sure everyone's rooms were clean. Right. Well, obviously those jobs, they need to get done, but they're not as desirable or like, I guess, brag worthy. But um, and obviously, like, I think they should have just like assigned those jobs randomly instead of segregating those jobs. But also those jobs, like, for example, my grandfather, you know, Buniku was a cook in the Romanian Revolution. And so and he comes home and he tells stories about it and he's says that everybody, um, all of the soldiers appreciated him for what he did. And feeding right. them and all. So, But I, I can imagine if, you know, you're being segregated back in your country and you come back and people ask you what you did in the war and all you can say is, I was day graving cooking and um, cleaning up rooms, then people are going to be assuming that you as a race were less crucial to the war and therefore devaluing you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Especially since like all of those jobs were like when slavery was around, were always assigned to slaves. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's, it's kind of mirroring that. Right. So what do you think was the impact of the war on the lives of minorities in America? So, Honestly, I think that um, it didn't it didn't really improve their like quality of life at all. If anything, it worsened it. Like, yeah, there were some um, minority soldiers on the field, but ultimately, it was like it was kind of degrading to have those jobs assigned to you. And also, since they were drafted, it was kind of a different situation. Um, okay. Even um, I'm not. So there was this one um, Native American 
unit that actually did like the most in the war. Um, in World right, War Right, the Code II. Talkers? Yeah. But okay. they didn't really get um, recognition until recently. Like, recently. Like, 21st century, recently. Right. And so, like, even though, even if they were fighting their hardest in, for their country, for their home, for their families, they weren't really getting the recognition they deserved. And so, we can see, like, with that, that the... Um, the representation of them just wasn't there even when they were risking their lives. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess a lot of the, the recognition that they deserve was just sort of purposely ignored or outshined by the white, uh, achievements. Um, yeah, like I if think we, it's mainly because uh, of how how strongly we we focus on. I guess I don't want to say marketing. I guess propagandizing the war, mm-hmm. and we always you know put a white man on the on the symbol for the war, and so you think about you know we're not going to really be thinking about the success of the white person. I mean, the success of any person of color if they're just going to be promoting the white success. Yeah, that leads into what I was going to say about how um, when we look back on these pictures of like battalions in World War II, it's usually just white men that are being represented, and we don't really see much diversity in that. And so right. um, I'm sure those same pictures were the ones being published in the newspapers, the ones being shown to everybody at home. And so, um, lots, I feel like it was very invalidating of the people that were serving, but not getting that recognition again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And I think, you know, th- there was definitely a lot of success in the segregated um, fighting units, um, but we don't really talk about that. We don't really have the stories for that. Uh, they they have their own stories and they can talk about it themselves. But at this point, it seems like a lot of the U.S. doesn't want to hear those stories. Yeah, They don't care for them anymore because either one, they think that the war is not relevant to them or that they just... That, that doesn't tie into any of their own history. Yeah, so we know that many of our World War II veterans are no longer here to tell their stories, right? Like, many of them have passed, right. their, or they're very old and might have mental issues. Um, so what can, like, people, individuals in the communities do to help record and collect the stories uh, for our, or of our living World War II veterans? I think... One thing that people in the communities can do to collect these stories is to try to have a historical connection to veterans of the war. And I think the best way to do that is to simply have those one-on-one conversations and record in detail what you're listening to. I think that we're reaching the end of a historical generation where this entire generation is going to be dead soon. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And so it's very limited and there might be a lot of things that are going to be lost to time. And we have this small window of opportunity to reach to those, reach out to those people and to get those results that we want and to get those stories that we want and to get the representation mainly that we want. Yeah. Because we live in a completely different, different generation where we don't really know war and the struggles of war, you know, like, right. We don't really know what it's like to live in that situation have to cut back on resources like aluminum and such for tanks and all of that. And like, and even if war were to break out world war three, hypothetically, we wouldn't really have to cut back on anything or we wouldn't really feel the intensity of the war because everything's very like, um, remote and less boots on the ground approach from the U.S. at least. Right. It's a lot more intel based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the interesting things that we should remember mm-hmm. um, is the effects that the war had on racism after the war. Uh-huh. And how um, institutionalized racism was changed after the war. Uh, I think a lot of the things that we can sort of recognize are war rights and um, the abolishment of segregated units. What do you mean which war Which was... I think... A lot of people had different choices in the war, mm-hmm. and a lot of people could choose to leave the war at different times, but a lot of the segregated units didn't really have the opportunity. Right. So I think that a big sort of representation of a fight against institutionalized racism and systematic racism is how African-Americans fighting fascism and racism in World War II actually meant a lot more than we may think about. Yeah. I think it means to show a giant display of sort of resurgence in um, I don't know how to put this. I, I guess it's, I, it's just a big uh, I think it rebuilding I think it creates reputation. Yeah, I think it creates kind of a new American identity, right? Because exactly. lots of our, um, like we kind of talked about in the last episode, is about the U.S. or in the first episode about the U.S. policing the world, right? And so if we have more uh, representation in that policing of the world, then we're basically um, showing that, like, because that's a large part of the American identity is basically being um, patriotic for our troops, right? Or at least on some levels, you know? Not necessarily supporting right. war, but supporting the people that protect us. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, being, being part of the American identity, like now when, or back then when people thought of soldier, they thought of your average, um, white man just fighting on the front lines. And now I think it's a lot more diverse. We, we can see women, we can see minorities, we can see all these different, um, types of people in the army. Right. So what do you think the, the American identity has changed through? I mean, in episode one, we talked about the American identity being this nationalistic anti-communist. And in episode two, this American identity was this anti-fascist, anti-communist, uh, uh, extremely, I want to say blue, honestly. I think that's the best word I can yeah, I, I can think of to describe the American identity um, during World War II. And then this episode, we're, we're talking about desegregation. So what has the American identity shifted to? In World War II? Right, yeah. So we see, um, I think we see a, a kind of resurgence of... Um, I want to say Republican motherhood because we're seeing that these um, like we're, we're again seeing that these women and children are staying at home and they're raising their children basically alone without the father figure who's at war generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Republican motherhood is basically raising them to believe that um, in this wartime that America is the best and we need to keep rooting for America and all of this. So that's, that's that. Republican motherhood, you know? Right. And yeah, I guess yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the most effect. Obviously there's also, um, changes in like, are, if you're a better American, if you're reducing your aluminum consumption, you're a better American. If you're reducing your rubber consumption, all of that stuff, because they need those for Mm -hmm. tank treads, tires, um, tanks, cars in the army, like all of that stuff. So I think there's like just this push on like actually supporting the, the troops, supporting the troops. Yeah. And also the government kind of defining what a good American is with all of their prop- propaganda. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap this episode up. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. <laughs>